Hello to all you unconventional conventionists. Welcome to Rocky Talkie. I'm Jacob. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. Oh my god, guys. How was your week? How? What were you up to? What did y'all do? Uh, honestly, not much this week. Just kind of trying to hunker down as much as I can. I'm actually supposed to be in Portugal right now, but that didn't happen. So wah, I'm wah. sitting alone in my apartment, jacking it. Did someone blow up Portugal? No, nobody blew up Portugal, but, you know, the person that I was supposed to go with just decided to take a job that takes them away from this general area for a year. So uh, I had to get travel credit instead. Oh, my Damn God, that's selfish people. Yeah, I know, right? What a selfish <laughs> bitch. Think about the people around you that aren't doing as well as you for once is all I'm saying. Yeah, honestly, for real. That's that's also what I'm saying, but she doesn't want to listen to me. So, uh, But aside from being sad that I'm not currently in Portugal, uh, I went to go see the Book of Mormon for like the fourth time yesterday. So that was cool. Ooh, fun. Yeah, they uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker recently rewrote a lot of the script. Oh, really? Which, I didn't know that. Yeah, they rewrote it to make it more, like, relevant, uh, which is hilarious because Book of Mormon is still relevant. It's only been out for, like, a little over a decade, and yeah. it just goes to show that people, like, fucking people who write shows that have been on Broadway for, like, eight million years, <coughs> Chicago, sorry, I had something stuck in my throat, mm. are such a fucking bore to watch now because they're not updated and they're not relevant anymore. And then Matt Stone and Trey Parker out here, like... Our show's been on Broadway for about a decade. That's too long. We got to rewrite it. So it was it was really cool to see like their rewrites and stuff, and them including like jokes that you know pass more with this audience, subtext that passes more with the audience. Now it was fucking awesome. Book of Mormon really now awesome. featuring songs by Little Nas X. Oh my god, <laughs> I would I would shit fart and come if that happened. That sounds super cool. What about you, Aaron? Uh, you know, I, I had a good week I had uh, not a, not a whole lot going on, just getting back into the swing of it, uh, you know, with the new year and work and all that kind of crap. Uh, it was just our friend Marty's birthday. Happy birthday, Marty. So, uh, yeah, you know, let's go Marty. Marty. Yeah, we did some low key stuff with him. Uh, had a good time. Uh, he's, he's the big old 21. So, uh, did some drinking. My liver has not yet recovered. Um, but yeah, that was super fun. Uh, one of the things we got to do, we went down to the Slipper Room, which uh, if you aren't familiar in New York, the Slipper Room is uh, this awesome burlesque venue uh, that does all kinds of burlesque and sideshow acts and that kind of thing. It was super awesome. We got to go uh, check that out. Uh, it was nice. We went on a Sunday night, so it was really low key and uh, it wasn't too crazy. Um, funniest thing about that, though, I was sitting there the whole time just going taking notes about the hosting routine that the uh, woman who was hosting was doing, just going like, oh, that's okay. Now I could steal that joke. That's a good one. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, always learning. It was a lot of fun. So we did that. Um, what else have we been up to? Not not a whole lot else. Uh, oh, we just dropped a uh, interview with Zephyr. I think it uh, dropped on Monday uh, this last week. So if you haven't heard about that, we talk all about the Victorious video. Go fucking check that out. It's posted all over social media. It's posted on our YouTube. Zephyr's awesome. It's super fun to get to chat with him. And uh, yeah, you should go check that out. What about you, Jacob? You were suspiciously absent last week. What were you up to? Um, well, last week I was having a lot of sex with my girlfriend. 
I went away to Florida for about a week and a half for Christmas, New Year's celebrations with family. And that was great. And I got back uh, pent-up sexual energy. Woohoo. That was fun. But what I really want to talk about is I've been reading Fahrenheit 451. And holy shit. Fucking trash novel. I don't understand how that piece of shit is, like, one of the greatest things of all time. Like, it's I've heard it talked about and it's supposed to be popular. And, like, oh, it's, like, marker of American culture. Like, oh, my God. Garbage, trash book. I'm not all the way through, so I could be wrong. It could turn around. But, like, oh, my God, do not waste your time. I hate it. I feel like there were so many books between, like, the early 1900s and the 1960s that, like, were, wow, greatest thing ever written. And then when you try to read them now, it's like, I can't read this. This is shit. It's classic, though. It's classic Ray Bradbury. Like... Yeah, just because it's classic doesn't mean it's good. Now, you know what else is classic? The Bible. And that shit is a slog. <laughs> Listen, I want to know how many cubits it takes to fit a Wonka into a Durkodur. You know, I, I, I don't know, man. I haven't read that in forever. The, the Bible? Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. No, no, no. It's like, where are cubits and Wonkas referenced in the Bible? Oh, I think we're reading different versions of the Bible. Yeah, that's in the Book of Mormon, actually. Hosted by Little Nas X. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a bunch of fun. Reading a horrible book, having a bunch of sex. I like that. And with that, let's get started with our first segment, Global News! First up, very nice, first up in Global News we have, say it with me, a fan fan production! production. (laughs) That's right, YouTuber Annie the Clumsy recently put out music videos for most of the songs in Rocky Horror. She has a bunch of great videos and clearly put a ton of work into it. Uh, She's a one-woman team, and she just went all fucking in. There's animations, there's really precise cuts, she's got really great makeup, and I mean, it's an all-around really cool vibe. Annie the Clumsy is a singer and songwriter from Japan, inspired by New Zealand-based singing comedy duo Flight of the Concords. She's been making songs with her ukulele very clumsily since 2011. And from 2018 to 2020, she produced 11 episodes plus one live show of her own YouTube show called Annie the Clumsy Show. It's a lot like a variety show with a smorgasbord of activities. Annie sung, she cooked, and she taught us how to knit, in addition to a bunch of other things. Though her web show is just a small sliver of her output, she has a lot of original songs, as well as covers and a little mini-series of short skits on YouTube. In addition to all that, Annie also composes, writes, and sings songs for TV and web commercials in Japan. She has toured as chorus support with indie artist Oshu and collaborated with Avis Beats, who has over 170,000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Annie frequently uses her Macala baritone and all-solid Cedar Pow Pharaoh tenor ukuleles to write, record, and perform. On learning the all-solid Cedar Powell Fair tether ukulele, she says, If you're clumsy like me, it might take a while to learn chords and strumming patterns, but don't worry about it. It's totally okay. Just keep practicing and be nice to your all-solid Cedar Powell Farrow tether ukulele. <laughs> Love your all-solid Cedar Powell Farrow tether ukulele, and your all-solid Cedar Powell Farrow tether ukulele will love you back. <laughs> all-solid Cedar Powell Fenner tenor tenor. Fuck! <laughs> Just keep practicing. Cedar Pal Pharaoh Tenor. Just keep practicing how to say it, and eventually it'll love you back. (laughs) 
just (laughs) 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 just keep practicing and just keep practicing and be nice to your ukulele love your ukulele and your ukulele will love you back on to her most recent release the rocky horror clumsy sessions she has a total of 10 videos out covering everything from science fiction double feature all the way to floor show she has something for everything except superheroes and once in a while It sounds like she might be one of the few people who vibed with uh, Lou Adler's cuts there. She also cast her cat as Rocky, and we believe she had to cut Sword of Damocles too due to his absolute ambivalence towards the role. What a fucking drama queen. For a one-person production, all the songs were very musically involved, and in a few numbers, you can see cutouts of Annie's hands playing various instruments, including an electric piano, acoustic and electric guitar, and something called an omnichord, as well as a bunch of others. Science fiction double feature is done against an all-black screen with Annie cut up and pasted on, a silhouette for her lips, two for her face, and two for her playing an instrument. It really had a vibe, and it felt like an ensemble number. So most of the songs, like science fiction and pretty much everything else, use a black or natural background, usually somewhere in Annie's house decorated to fit the scene. But Damn It Janet is done with a drawn background. Images of the Home of Happiness sign, the grave, and the church door sit as the backdrop, cycling between two images of each setting to make the art look like it was moving. It's really fun. It made me wonder if that was something that any casts have done or like could do. You know, using art in place of scenery for your online shows. I know things are opening up more, but like that'd be pretty cool to look into. While there's no There's a Light number, she did do Over at the Frankenstein Place, which, after reading this piece, I've just learned are two separate songs. The more you know. They're not two separate songs. Oh, are they not? Okay, well, um, she put up just one thing called Over at the Frankenstein Place that's like, I guess, just one latter half of the song, and so I assumed that was one song, and uh, she, like, she... There, she doesn't have, yeah, she does not have There's a Light. She just has, like, the latter half of that musical number, I guess. So I assumed that was one song, and there's a, like, she only has the latter half. If There's a Light is one song, she only has the latter half of There's a Light. What's her name? Annie the Clumsy on YouTube. Rocky or Clumsy Sessions, over at the Frankenstein Place. Go. Yeah, over at the, Fra- yeah, see, I told you, over at the Frankenstein Place. She only got has, like, that half of the song. That's the whole song. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely listened to the song. I listened to like seven of these, and that was this is what happens when you read Fahrenheit 451 and have sex and listen to Annie the Clumsy all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here's definitely what happened. The song is called like she posted it, and the title is. Rocky Horror Clumsy Sessions, colon, over at the Frankenstein place, not, colon, there's a light. So I assumed, in my brain, I saw that, and that, that just meant to me, oh, this is over at the Frankenstein place, the song. Which must mean that there is an over at the Frankenstein place song in Rocky that she is doing. That is separate from there's a light. My mistake. I'm kind of, we know I'm a moron. All right, this isn't news. Uh, yes, this is. This is global news. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> the more you know. 
Well, over at the Frankenstein place was exactly what I expected. Maybe not what Jacob expected. Uh, Annie continues to play all the roles, Brad and Janet, and even does a really cool version of Riff uh, in the tower for his pop-up. And holy God, her Riff makeup is really good. Like, not to throw any shade, but some casts could maybe take a few pointers from her Riff and Magenta makeup. Hey man, I am right fucking here. Fun animations also pop up whenever they sing over at the Frankenstein place. Those words appear on screen with flames or lightning hovering around Frankenstein place. It was really kitschy in a fun way. There's a whole lot more, and that's about how it it all goes. Annie plays all the parts, plays all the instruments, wears all the costumes from her room, next to her plants, and with her cat. They're great videos, great sound editing, as well as some really cool art thrown in on every screen now and then. And some honorable mentions, a froofy little sock puppet takes on the role of the criminologist for his appearances in Time Warp and Eddie's Teddy. And if you have the right disposition, Janet singing touch a full on to a cat dressed as Rocky might be for you. Meow. Yeah, exactly. All the decorations. Yeah, furries. For Floor Show were also really good. She used glittery streamers and did something with the picture to keep them out of focus, leading to a glitzy drunk look for Floor Show. Overall, it felt like a dedicated, goofy production of Rocky Horror songs. Imagine if you and your friends decided to produce videos for all of the Rocky songs, but you actually had the skills to do it really well. And of course, all of you should check it out. Annie the Clumsy is available at AnnieTheClumsy.com, and from her site, you can access her Rocky Horror videos. Both links will also be on our show notes. You should send her some love. I am really excited that we're expanding our news coverage this week with this next piece. What do you mean? Uh, This week, we're covering some English New Year's Eve party that a random performer wore stockings to. Jacob, the depth of your stupidity know no bounds. Aaron, you're gatekeeping the community. I'm just enjoying the fact that we're finally extending our news coverage to the larger LGBTQIA plus community. What are you talking about? Well, we're covering this New Year's Eve party because a performer was wearing stockings and a corset, and that's sort of gay. And I just think that's really nice that we're opening it up like that. Jacob, the performer was Duncan James, and he was in stockings and a corset as a callback to his role as Frankenfurter, which he performed with the UK cast in 2019. So this isn't just a marginally gay man in the UK? Because I was thinking about that being a new segment. Next up, this week's Gay Brit. That's nice, Jacob. Anyways, we've alluded to, over on the island of Misfit Teeth, Duncan James performed at Proud Embankment, which is a London cabaret club for New Year's Eve alongside English actor Denise Van Oten. Duncan channeled his Rocky Horror past and donned a glam rock corset in an ensemble that left little to the imagination, and many of his pretty sweet tattoos on display. To remind everyone of his girthy resume, Duncan, aside from his tenure as a Frank with the UK cast, is most well-known for his boy band stardom. In the early 2000s, he and his friend Andy Costa convinced two of their friends to start a band, and from there, Blue was formed. They had multiple releases that hit number one on the UK singles charts and were largely popular across the UK, Ireland, Portugal, Belgium, Italy, France, Australia, and New Zealand. None of those are the United States. 
While originally active from 2001 to 2005, the four members went on to have productive solo careers, but in 2011, all four got back together to represent the UK in the Eurovision Song Contest, coming in 11th place out of 43 contestants. And in 2013, Blue released another studio album, and in March of 2013, the group announced they would embark on their first headlining tour later on in the year. Their first tour in nearly 10 years. Somebody got bills to pay. Now, on to the night in question. James looks like he was plucked right out of Sweet Transvestite, covered in rhinestones, fishnets, boas, garters, and fantastic makeup. He was in this dark, like, curly-haired wig with turquoise eyeshadow and this, like, bright red cherry lipstick. Unfortunately, we don't know what exactly his performance entailed, other than to say there was a lot of singing involved. And as mentioned, his partner for the evening was Denise Van Outen, who is an English presenter and performer, but he was joined by many others, including a burlesque performer slash Marilyn Monroe lookalike Isabella Bliss, UK actor Nathan Henry and his boyfriend, as well as a few others, as they counted down to 2022. It sounds like this was a really fun party. It's always nice to see Rocky Horror alums getting back to their roots in the show, even if it's only for an evening here and there. I guess it really never leaves you, huh? Speaking of which, let's move on to our next segment, Community News. First up in Community News, we've got a bittersweet announcement from our own cast. One of our cast directors, Eric Garment, announced this week that he will be retiring from the New York City Rocky Horror Picture Show cast. Eric joined on as a member of NYC RHPS about 15 years ago and has since grown into a staple of the community. He took over as cast director alongside our producer Meg back in January of 2016 and has spent the past five years helping to lead, shape, and grow our cast. Eric went public with this announcement on January 5th, assuring his friends and fellow community members that while he does plan to step down as an active part of the cast, he still plans to attend conventions and hangouts, visit other casts, and remain a part of the community as a whole. We here at Rocky Talkie and as members of NYC RHPS would like to thank Eric for all the work and dedication that he's put into our cast throughout the last 15 years. Yeah, man. Without your contributions, our show certainly wouldn't be where it is today. Yeah, on a personal note, I mean, I've known Eric since he joined way back when. Uh, He's always been an amazing Eddie, a fantastic member of the community. And uh, you know what? Enjoy getting your weekends back, buddy. You lucky fucking bastard. You have certainly earned them. Next up, we've got all kinds of cool new stuff coming to us from the Francis Bacon Experiment up in Buffalo. First of all, this week we were extremely excited to learn that RHPS Buffalo is gearing up to hold their cast's first ever performance of... Shock Treatment. Yay! Fuck you, John. I know you don't like Shock Treatment. Yay! That's why you made me read this, isn't it? (laughs) that's right april 1st 2022 at 7:30 p.m the cast will be partnering with the screening room cinema cafe which is a locally owned and operated venue that screens cult films and hosts poetry readings trivia and comedy nights this venue looks like it would be amazing for shadow casting rocky and shocky seem super on brand for them plus their theater setup looks phenomenal they've got a great cabaret style atmosphere with comfy couches Tables, chairs, and bar stools. The downside is that seating in the theater is limited, especially now when they're only operating at 50% capacity to allow for extra space and COVID safety throughout the venue. That means that if you want to see this show, the time to buy tickets is now. 
Tickets are only $10 each, and the cast has hinted that if the April 1st show sells out, there's a possibility of a second performance being booked. But no promises, people. I'm excited. This show looks like it's going to be an absolute blast. I know that Buffalo loves Shockey and has been really excited at the thought of getting to put it on one day. And, I mean, we're beyond excited that they finally get a chance to show their stuff. Yo, too bad Nikki isn't here to start a road trip chant since it actually makes sense this time around. Seriously, I mean, honestly, Meg keeps looking at different ways to get to Buffalo and telling me, like, how cost-efficient and convenient they'd be. Like, literally at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning this morning, she's like, you know, it's only $200 to get to Buffalo. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, Nikki might not be the only one trying to get us there. If you're interested in learning more about the event and maybe getting tickets, we've got the Eventbrite page linked for you in our show notes. And, hey, while we're on the subject of travel... Buffalo gave us a little second treat this week in YouTube video format. On January 7th, Allie and Jamie released a really great instructional video about how to construct an ultra-portable tank on a budget. According to this video, Buffalo Cast has never used a tank before as they're a traveling cast and all of their equipment needs to be able to break down and fit inside a car or two. Obviously, traditional tanks are not conducive to being hauled around, so lots of casts who don't have a permanent venue with storage learn how to either put something really quick and dirty together, or just completely go without. For example, our cast, New York, used to have a really awesome tank made out of wood. Unfortunately, it is now sitting in a New Jersey storage unit, uh, so the tank we use now is made up of two lighting tripods with just a red sheet draped over them. So, we've gone from one extreme all the way to the other. But, as Allie and Jamie are fond of saying, there's no wrong way to Rocky. And the tank they've come up with, which is made out of PVC pipes, shower curtains, and red duct tape, is the ultimate example of this. On paper, this sounds like a plastic shower curtain held onto some PVC piping with duct tape. But the finished product in the video looks great. I could totally see it being used on any stage without a single audience member even blinking an eye at it. I think part of that is the 15-foot rule that Ali spoke about. In theater, something may look suspicious up close, but from 15 feet away, you know, aka the distance between the stage and the audience, people tend to only see the big stuff. The shape, the color, the size of my penis, etc. They'll see a really big red frame with frosted glass windows on stage and take for granted that that's what it is. They won't be looking for red duct tape, and unless it really stands out, they're not going to see it. One of the best parts about this tank, though, is that it can completely break down into its basic parts, the PVC pipes, connectors, and shower curtain, and be transported to and from shows super easily. It folds down basically flat, it's incredibly lightweight, and it seems pretty durable. It's only PVC and plastic after all. Yeah, when Meg and I were talking about what kind of travel tank we could construct for New York, I, I had a moment when I saw this video where I was just like, holy crap, they drew exactly the same diagram that we sat here in our apartment and drew. Like, all the way down to like, ah oh yes, this connector piece, this connector piece. This is, this is very clearly the way to go. It is an awesome, awesome solution. Uh, unfortunately, Meg is really bad at math, and the minute that we started trying to uh, actually break down what pieces we would need, she just absolutely gave up and said, you know what, fuck it, let's just put a sheet over two poles. I'm glad that somewhere in New York, Jamie and Allie can do some fucking math, and they came up with this awesome solution. 
If your cast is in the market for a new super portable tank, definitely take a look at this video. Jamie and Allie explain everything really well, even the math for construction illiterates like <clears throat> some of us here. And they've even included a shopping list of all of the parts that you'll need to construct your own. We've linked the video for you in our show notes. Please go check it out. It's insanely informative and also just a super fun watch. Jamie and Allie are adorable as always and very, very entertaining. So mad props to everyone over at Francis Bacon. Thanks for giving our community such great stuff. We can't wait to see what you put together for Shockey. Next up, we've got some exciting news from the rich weirdos down in Orlando, Florida. The cast is slated to perform at Villacon in Orlando, Florida from January 21st through the 23rd. So Villacon is a multi-genre cosplay convention celebrating the darker side across all fandoms. Some of this year's special guests include Eric Avari, who played Dr. Terrence Bay in The Mummy, Garrett Wang, who played Harry Kim in Star Trek Voyager, Denise Crosby, who played Tasha Yar and Commander Sela in Star Trek The Next Generation, and Barry Boswick, who played the biggest villain of them all, Brad Majors, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. This whole weekend sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. They've got lots of cool activities lined up throughout the whole con, including cult classics burlesque, a murder mystery event, a whole bunch of notable professional cosplayers, and, drumroll please, a Rocky screening on Friday night, complete with a costume contest, of course. And do you know who would make the absolute perfect judge for a Rocky costume contest? Uncle Barry, that's who! In fact, he'll actually be the head judge for the Show Us Your Brad Majors costume contest. One of the convention's five costume contests which will be taking place right before the Rich Weirdo's Shadowcast on Friday night. In keeping with his rich history of being wonderful to Shadowcasters, Barry is clearly very excited to be partnering with the Rich Weirdos at Villacon. He's posted all about the performance on his social media, heavily spotlighting the cast performance over his own involvement in the convention, which will include a full weekend of autograph signing, plus hosting a Megaforce Laugh Tracks evening, and even previewing one of his new upcoming films. That actually sounds like a whole lot of fun. If you're interested in seeing the rich weirdos perform, visiting Uncle Barry, or checking out any of the other cool stuff this con's got to offer, Villacon will be taking place at Doubletree Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida from January 21st through the 23rd. A weekend pass will only cost you 35 bucks, and will grant you access to all the con's events, including the Shadowcast. So don't forget to check out the convention's Eventbrite page in our show notes. And just a reminder, if you have a chance to hit up Villacon and see Uncle Barry and the Rich Weirdos, if you make it up to Buffalo for shock treatment, or if you build your own version of the Francis Bacon tank, write to us and tell us all about it! Hell yeah! The same goes for any Rocky Horror Community projects or cool upcoming events you or your cast might be working on. We love getting to share projects like this on our show. It's what keeps our community interesting and vibrant. And don't forget about Big Dick Storytime. If you've got a totally nuts story from your time in the Rocky Horror Community, maybe like an amazing show that you got to perform in, or a crazy con party that you attended and want to reminisce about, or that time that you got to meet Richard O'Brien and he signed your butt, anything really. Fill out a form and we will share your story on the show and make sure all of our listeners know just how enormous your magnum dong really is. It's that easy. Just go to our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form to let us know how it went, and we'll share it on air. You know, all that talk about 
big dicks reminds me of something. Oh no. What's it remind you of? You've got it, chuckle fucks. It's time to jerk it with Jacob. And this week, I'd just like to take this opportunity with my first segment of 2022 to absolutely and completely shit on Aaron for his performance on last week's episode of The Game Show. Hey man, we didn't miss that many, and... Oh, oh, oh we, we, we! I mean, I didn't say we! I am shitting on you, individually. John did fine. Gee, thanks. But you, Aaron, did not do well. I missed, like, one question. I'm sorry, you waste so much goddamn time looking at Rocky Horror crap, and you can't even remember something? Something so obviously simple and basic. Something as straightforward as the name of the recording studio that the original cast album was recorded at. You moron. I did not know that one. You are correct. That's absolutely baffling, Aaron. I'm so disappointed. I mean, yeah, anyone would know about Psalm Studios. Well, of course I know about Psalm Studios. Aha! See, I don't think you do. Because there was one other thing that I noticed last week. Without me here to handle all the game show related activities it was bound to go awry and oh awry did it did go you see you fools our wonderful producer meg while extremely talented apparently cannot transcribe from a youtube video of someone talking with a british accent what because it's not Psalm Studios, you ignoramuses! It's Sarma Studios! What? Yeah, I'm not hearing it. Sarma? Psalm? Psalm Sarm? Sarm? Psalm Psalm Sarm? S A R M. Not Psalm. P S A L M. It's right here. In the script from last week, Meg spelled it wrong, and you didn't know the answer. I am so disappointed in you. Your entire facade has crumbled in my absence. I'm sorry, Jacob. I don't know what you're talking about. I've I've been saying SARM. I mean, good, good thing we're on a podcast and nobody can tell how we fucking spelled it. No. 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 But no. Yeah, man. SARM. I don't, I don't know what you're... Do you actually, like... Pay that close of attention to the script? No! You can't! You can't do this! I won! Yeah, no, we, we are definitely saying SARM. That's that's not what... In, in fact, this is actually a great topic to bring up, and I'm glad you did. The original cast recording is certainly an incredibly interesting story, and honestly, this is a great one to start off 2022 with. This this is a great idea, man. Good 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 job. No, but, but you, you lost. I won the... So, for those of you that want a refresher from last week, one of the trivia questions that was asked on our game show Mastermind, which Rocky Horror expert Sarah Trevartan knew, but our wonderful team over here at Rocky Talkie had no fucking clue. The question was, 
The original cast album was recorded in 1973 at Witch Studio in London, co-founded by the actor and music producer John Sinclair. And it's SARM Recording Studios, yes we know. But do you know who John Sinclair is? He's the producer of the album, of course. Incorrect. He was associated with the studio that the album was recorded in. It was produced by Jonathan King. Wait, who the hell is Jonathan King? And John Sinclair founded a recording studio? Actually, if you ask John Sinclair, or as he goes by now, Rabbi Yaakov Asher, he practically created the Rocky Horror Show. You know, Richard O'Brien helped a little, but... Hold the fucking phone! Or whatever a not-boomer would say. You guys are, j are just fucking with me. R Richard O'Brien created Rocky Horror. Except for everything Jim Sharman came up with in his directing and Brian Thompson and his set designs and the actors while they were all workshopping the play. And Sue Blaine and let's not forget Richard Hartley who practically wrote like half the songs and... Well, well yes, Rocky was a group effort, but who the heck is John Sinclair? And, and Jonathan King? You, you didn't even tell me that. We've talked about all these other people before. Oh, Jonathan King. You mean the other initial producer of the Rocky Horror Show. You know, alongside Michael White. Now I know you're fucking with me. That was Lou Adler. No, Lou Adler brought Rocky to the U.S. and produced the film. Before Lou ever saw Rocky, Jonathan King cut a deal to back the stage show. What is this, Revisionist History Day? No, you see, Jacob, Rocky Horror is like an onion. Or a parfait. No, not like that. And as you peel back the layers of the onion, there are even more facts lurking beneath the surface. And this one is actually a pretty massive iceberg. Is this an onion or an iceberg? It's a parfait. An iceberg lettuce parfait. Lettuce on them buns, baby. What? Got him. Uh <laughs> A quick trip through the first Rocky Horror Show official soundtrack. I'm here for this. Let's start at the beginning. Actually, let's start even before the beginning. Before Rocky even existed. Well, before it ever existed outside of Richard O'Brien's balding head. So this part of the story is told by Belinda Sinclair, who listeners might remember as the actress who played Janet after the Rocky Horror Show transferred from the theater upstairs to the classic cinema in August of 1973. Right, so you've got to remember that Richard O'Brien in the early 70s was working within the same circle of people that were doing London theater. And much like modern-day Rocky, they weren't just performers together in a bunch of shows— Many of them were friends. They'd hang out, they'd party, and Richard and Kimmy Wong had a flat in Oaklington Road in Maida Vale in London. Oh, and Belinda Sinclair was one of those friends. I, I gotcha. Explains how she got Janet. Helps to know Richard first, I guess. She had also been in the musical Hair. I believe that's how they were first acquainted when Richard was also part of that show. Right, so according to her... One night, she and her boyfriend John Sinclair are over hanging out at Richard and Kimmy's apartment. They're having a good time. They're smoking, drinking, possibly smoking other things. Not the marijuanas. Never wanna. Not a single one. So as they're sitting there, Richard points out a TV in the corner of the room that's showing some late night black and white B-movie. 
And like the biggest nerd in the room, he starts going on about how bad its production values are and how the performances are so bad and how he would want to see a rock and roll horror show on the London stage that spoofs all of these B-movies. And then he gets out his guitar. Man, I don't know if I could hang out with 1973 Richard O'Brien. First, he gets high and starts ranting about some random old TV show and then is like, hey guys, want to hear me play some guitar? And according to Belinda Sinclair, when Richard picked up his guitar, what came out was science fiction double feature, Dr. X will build a creature. Well, fine, Richard, you can keep going. What's the next line? And that's exactly what happened. According to Belinda Sinclair, her and John Sinclair stayed all evening chipping in ideas. She remembered that John especially contributed a lot of thoughts and ideas that evening while they were hanging out. So he, like, drunkenly suggested a few things? But but don't be giving me this. He created Rocky Horror nonsense. Oh, no. That comes much, much later. But according to Belinda, though it's unclear if this is the same night or sometime later, John Sinclair apparently suggested that he and Richard O'Brien should attempt to write the script together. But John was about to open a new recording studio which you might have heard of, called Sarm Records. And as the story goes, that took up all of his time, so he didn't have the chance to work on Rocky Horror with Richard. And Richard did use John to record the album, so they were still friends through the Rocky Horror Show opening. Or at least business partners. Yeah, John Sinclair claiming to have created Rocky comes much later. For the time being, it was just a night of shooting the shit and Richard messing around on a guitar. Okay, so then what happens? Sinclair goes off and opens Sarm, and Richard starts to get Rocky together, and eventually plays some of the songs to Jim Sharman. Michael White signs on to produce it at the theater upstairs. Where does this Jonathan King guy come in? So the Rocky Horror Show debuts, and immediately the rave reviews begin pouring in. Probably the most influential was from Jack Tinker, which is a very unfortunate name. He's the theater reviewer for the Daily Mail. He loved the show which is completely opposite for the feelings that his parents had for him. And he wrote a fantastic review, so good that it was printed on the back of the original soundtrack album cover. And one guy who saw that review was Jonathan King. Just two days after the show opened, he and a friend got tickets to go see Rocky Horror. He recalled in the liner notes for the 1996 re-release of the original cast album that there was nothing in the write-up to indicate that the show was a musical. So as he put it, the surprises began the moment the show commenced. King recalled that both he and his friend, quote, rocked with laughter and fell in love with the performance. After the show, he made his way backstage and announced that he wanted to invest in the show and produce a recording. That's pretty nuts. You're Tim Curry. On the second night working on some small stage show, it got good reviews, but you don't know. And some guy barges backstage telling you that he wants to make a record. But Jonathan King wasn't just anybody. He was actually a fairly well-known recording artist and producer at that point. While he was still in college, King had a top four single with Everyone's Gone to the Moon, and in 1967, he discovered the rock group Genesis. He was the one that even gave them their name, Genesis. He had another hit record as an artist in 1969, and then for the next two years, he was the top single producer in the UK. In 1972, the year before Rocky first appeared on stage, he founded UK Records. See... 
King had a knack for picking up a hot trend or like a newly released song and immediately pumping out something to piggyback off of it. You know that song, Hooked on a Feeling? Ooga chaka, ooga, ooga, ooga chaka. I can't fight this feeling. Oh my god, that song from Guardians of the Galaxy. So the version in Guardians is by Blue Suede, which is recorded in 1973. They based it on a 1971 version that was released by Jonathan King. But King didn't write it. B.J. Thomas, (laughs) another very unfortunate (laughs) name, wrote it in 1968, and it was a sappy ballad. Jonathan King was the one that layered all like the ooga 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 chugga stuff on it to make it different enough cover but still to cash in on the success of the original. I mean, that's just the music business. Sure, and he did it over and over. It was pretty successful. So by the time he came to see Rocky in 73 and made his way backstage, it definitely was some crazy record producer wants to give us money and make an album and not some bum wants us to sing into his tin can. And practically overnight, King made the deal. He invested a 20% stake in the Rocky Horror Show, making him one of its two original backers alongside Michael White. And additionally, he produced and released the Rocky Horror Show original London cast album under UK Records. And when it came time to record that album, Richard O'Brien knew his buddy John Sinclair, who had just opened SARM Records over in Whitechapel. See, John and his sister Jill, alongside his friend Andy Layton and engineers Gary Lyons and Mike Stone, had opened SARM in July of 1973. The Rocky Horror Show album was one of their earliest clients. At the same time, John and Andy were also in the process of launching a music publishing company, Druid Crest Music. Richard O'Brien became the company's first signing once it was up and running, and soon became an equal partner in the company as well. Later, the three would launch their own production company, Rich T-Boy Productions, where they released a string of Rocky Horror-related singles by both cast members and just some of their friends. Colloquially, they called themselves Andrew Obonzo, which is an homage to the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, which is a late 60s comedy and music group. See, there you go, just making up words again. So the team of... Andro Boingo is how Richard and Kimmy and a bunch of other people put out Rocky-related records, and it started with them recording the Rocky Horror Show soundtrack at SARM. Speaking about the creation of the soundtrack, Richard King remembered that they practically made the album in 24 hours. Everyone went to SARM Studios and bashed away until it was recorded, voiced, and mixed. King said, I wanted to capture the spirit of enthusiastic tackiness that embodied the play. And I think it did. And does. Unlike all subsequent versions, this has innocence, hope, and wonder. Because if there's one thing I think about Rocky Horror, it's, oh yes, innocence and wonder. Yep, those are the words that come to my mind, of course. After releasing the record, King became heavily involved in the Rocky Horror Show's early promotion. But eventually, he fell to the wayside of history as Lou Adler swooped in for the U.S. stage show rights and the eventual film. So what happened with John Sinclair? Why did he start saying he created the show? So way back in that interview we talked about with Belinda Sinclair, where she was remembering the first time that Richard had come up with science fiction double feature, she also mentioned that over the years, John was very angry that he never got any credit for his input into Rocky. The community had been only vaguely aware of this story for several decades, but it finally came to the forefront many years later in early 2000. 
According to a talk that Sinclair gave in 2000 at the University of Pennsylvania, in the mid-1970s, he read a book called The Shell, which is a Yiddish novel that relates the story of one man's return to his Jewish roots. The book, he said, ultimately inspired him to inspect his own spirituality and return to Judaism. In 1987, Sinclair went to Israel and has since become a rabbi. He now goes by the name of Yaakov Asher and lives with his family in Jerusalem. But in that same talk at the University of Pennsylvania, he took a lot of credit for creating Rocky Horror. As he put it, while he was working on hair in England, he and a friend came up with the idea of staging a, quote, science fiction rock and roll musical. According to him, he made a deal with his friend that he would produce the stage musical if his friend agreed to write it. The result was the ever-popular Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, I'm not, not so sure about that. And neither did the community. This was all jotted down in an article posted on the Daily Pennsylvanian and made the rounds on the old news groups back in the early 2000s. The clickbait title, From Rocky Horror to Rabbi, caught people's attention. But this is the only place where we, like, directly hear about him taking credit for Rocky. He hasn't really spoken about it since, as far as I can tell. I was just Googling him. He's actually a pretty prolific public speaker. He was plenary keynote speaker at the Agudis Yisrael Convention and keynote speaker at Project Inspire in 2018. He lectures in Talmud and Jewish philosophy at Or Somayach Tannenbaum College of Judaic Studies in Jerusalem, and is a senior staff writer of the Torah internet publications Ornet and Torah Weekly. He even does YouTube videos. His most recent one is titled, What's Wrong with Amazon's Kindle? Where I'm sure he will tell me why my Kindle is the work of the devil. Although we don't believe in the devil in Judaism, so checkmate atheists. What a weird story. Yeah, it's a little more disgusting for Jonathan King, though, our record-producing mogul. In September of 2001, King was convicted of child sexual abuse and sentenced to seven years in prison for having sexually assaulted five 14- and 15-year-old boys in the 1980s. In November 2001, he was placed on the Sex Offenders Registry and was acquitted of 22 similar charges. He was released on parole in March 2005. A further trial for sexual offenses against teenage boys resulted in several not guilty verdicts and the trial being abandoned in June 2018. In 2019, an independent review into the police investigation leading to the 2018 trial was published. It was critical of the handling of disclosure of documents to King's defense and questioned whether some of the staff involved had been qualified or experienced enough to handle the case. And in 2020, King's complaint to the Independent Office for Police Conduct about Surrey's police investigation was upheld. His appeal regarding his 2001 conviction is still being examined after fresh evidence was disclosed in 2018. He was removed from the Sex Offenders Registry in 2020. Why did he get removed from the Sex Offender Registry? Um, so he sounds like a creep. Yeah, and since his release, he's had little to do with music. Mostly, he seems to be writing a lot of books, mostly under pseudonyms, obviously. But it's not really all that easy to track anything down. Well, uh, what about Sarm Records? We said they published a bunch of Rocky-related records. Anything interesting there? Sarm actually went on to do some pretty prolific recordings. 
1975, Queen recorded sections of Bohemian Rhapsody and The Prophet Song at Sarm, and filmed the video for Somebody to Love at the studio the following year. The band returned to Sarm in summer of 1977 to record portions of their album News of the World, including We Are the Champions. In 1976, Trevor Horn comes into the mix, eventually forming the Bugles and creating their smash single, Video Killed the Radio Star, which would eventually be the first video ever played on MTV. Sarm continues as a recording studio to this day. But what about Rocky stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of information from back in the Andrew Obonzo years. All of the music of Kimmy Wong and Richard O'Brien. That includes like a weird vintage doo-wop girls cover of Eddie's Teddy. And of course, Belinda Sinclair's version of Tatcha. You know, the one that had like a disco version that went to number three on the Japanese singles chart. I do not know anything about any of that. Well, I guess you'll just have to tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And that's our show. We want to thank Francis Bacon Experiment for their awesome YouTube content that we are just loving. And as always, we'd like to thank our writer Jacob, our producer Meg, and our editor Aaron from Tennessee. We appreciate all of your work. If anyone has a question that they'd like to answer us on air for Nikki Asks a Question, or some community news that they'd like us to talk about, or even a cool story to share with the community, we'd love to include it on our show. Just go to our website, rockytalkypodcast.com, and fill out our contact form to tell us about it. If you're enjoying Rocky Talkie, please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show. It makes the podcast more accessible to new listeners, which really helps grow the show. And if you want even more Rocky Talkie content, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Rocky Talkie Podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye! Bye. See ya! Ooh, that was a good one. That was, ooh, that was sexy. <laughs> 60. Well, that sounds like a bunch of fun, reading a horrible book, having a bunch of sex. I like that. Yeah, that best is when you do them at the same time. Oh, I I have no response to that. Yeah, no, I think you're doing things a little wrong uh, or you know, right. Yeah, there's, I don't know how I would actually read during sex, so that's not, I thought, I thought there was a joke in there, but I don't think there is anymore. I don't even Whoops. know how to read. Very nice. First up in global news, we have, say it with me, a fan production. Fan production. Thank you, guys. Fan production. You can just layer those, right, Meg? You sure you weren't just drunk while you watched it? While having sex and reading Fahrenheit 451? (laughs) It's been a very busy week. I could not tell you one way or the other, so... Let us on them buns, baby. What? Got Uh, (laughs) him. I don't know why I found that so funny. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. Was that the Shrek joke? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. How okay. was that a Shrek joke? It landed for me. <laughs> All right. He lectures in Talmud and Jewish philosophy at Or Somayach Tannenbaum College. Oh, my God. That's why I that... gave it to you. <laughs> it's the most Jewish college. Oh. Ah.